Front row seats to a popular music stage can range upward from $300 or more. In fact, a popular English band had a pair of tickets auctioned off for over $150,000. In places like these, you can be assured that a security guard will be standing at every gate, maybe with 50 or more guards on duty at one time. Even if you were able to sneak in, you would probably be caught like one Texas man in the Dallas arena who posed as a famous music executive and was later apprehended. He spent a night in jail on misdemeanor charges and a $1,000 bail. The only sure way to get in on the big music stages is with a ticket. A ticket offers access. A ticket provides authority to take your seat and sit at the feet of your favorite music band. Now, in a similar manner, God has a music stage today, all with front row seats to sit at his feet and worship him in all his glory and majesty. Those who desire to sit in this assembly will also need a ticket. They will need authorization. Jesus said the Father is seeking such to worship him, but only on the condition that those who worship him worship in spirit and truth. John 4, verses 23 and 24. Now, reminiscent of the words Joshua once spoke to a very disobedient still people, even after many years of victory and blessings in God, Joshua would say unto them, serve him in sincerity and truth. To serve God in sincerity and truth is to serve God with all of one's being, his heart, his mind, his hands, all in accordance with the written will of God. Your word is truth, Jesus once prayed, John 17, 17. There's no way to worship God in spirit and truth unless we desire his will and the sincerity, the genuineness of our hearts, but also that we know his will in accordance with the truth of his word. That's why I believe there are many today who are pressing in at the gates of worship, rejected. Even now at this very moment, as we stand at the precipice of every first day of the week on the Lord's day, they are being turned down and rejected. Now, not at the physical doors of some church building, but instead at the spiritual gates of the heavenly courts. There are many who are bringing grand choir groups. They are bringing skillful fingers at the guitars. There are some who are bringing melodious masterpieces upon the pianos. And yet the Lord, the one mediator between God and man, is standing at the entranceway unwilling to permit the way to the Father. Why? Because Jesus said the Father is seeking true worshipers. The Father is seeking those who worship him in spirit and truth. And that means God's way, not man's way. God's will, not man's will. I want to talk about getting our ticket to worship the Father in spirit and truth. And I want to ask three questions. Number one, do we really need one? Number two, how do we get it? And number three, what do we do once we get one? Now, let's start with that first question. Do I really need a ticket to worship the Father? 
Well, when I use the word ticket, of course, I mean metaphorically this concept of authorization, permission, like that man who tried to enter into that Dallas arena without authority. He was ushered out, kicked out. Do we in similar manner need authority? Do we need permission? Do we need a ticket to enter into God's arena and worship him in holiness and truth? Admittedly, this is a strange idea for many. When you start applying this concept of permission and authority to worship God, because in the minds of many people today, worshiping the Father doesn't require permission. It doesn't require authority or authorization. One does not need to receive the right or the power to worship the Father, at least, again, in the minds of many. In their minds, probably even without thinking about it, they already inherently possess the right, the power, the authority to worship the Father. In the minds of many, the power and the right to worship the Father is as simple as walking into a building that identifies itself with the church of Jesus, usually by means of a physical sign or some physical structure, maybe like the steeple at the top, maybe with a cross or something uh, at the top there. And then walking into that building, taking one seat and participating really in whatever form, whatever manner is offered alongside, being offered alongside other professing Christians. And so this for many is all the power, all the permission that is needed to enter into the heavenly courts of the Father and sit at his feet and worship him. Few, if any, are ever going to question the manner of the worship, unless it looks, you know, crazy and wild. They're not going to question the manner. They're not going to question the items of offering that are being given in that worship. And again, so long as it is pleasing in their sight, they will freely offer it up as that which undoubtedly is pleasing to the only true Father in heaven. You know, some have even sprung up from within our Lord's church as of late. There was a brother by the name of Terry Stafford who asked the question, do we really have authority to do what we do? He's speaking to the Lord's people, the Lord's church. And he asked this question, do we have authority to do what we do every Sunday? Do we need authority to do what we do every Sunday? He goes on and he says, if there is one thing I have gleaned from my years of studying the Bible, it's that there is no model or direction on how we are to worship God. Yes, you heard me right. He, he said there's no model or direction for how we are to worship God. And then he goes on and he says, while churches of Christ are known for looking for what is and isn't authorized in Scripture, he says the very act of doing that seems to set us up for failure. He says, I think if we view Scripture as preventative or restrictive in nature, we literally cut ourselves off from life as we know it. And then he goes on lastly here and he says, there's so much we all do that is not specifically authorized in the Bible. We don't stand a chance. I choose to see Scripture as permissive. Now, men like Stafford and those like him 
do not know the scriptures. We need authority. We need power. We need right to enter into God's stage of worship and praise. There is a prescribed order in how we are to come before the Father and worship Him. And it's not nearly as confusing as what Stafford might imagine or wish to make it. Again, Jesus said the Father is seeking true worshipers. There is a wrong way and there is a right way to worship the Father. Paul labored for nearly half of an entire letter to the church in Corinth purely upon the subject of worship, and he addressed the manner of prayer, the Lord's Supper, preaching, singing, and giving. The scriptures are preventative. The scriptures are restrictive, just as they also are permissive and authoritative, all at the same time and in the same manner. In Colossians chapter 3, verse 17, the Apostle Paul said these words immediately, in fact, following his instruction on worshiping the Lord in song and praise. But he goes on, he doesn't go through a list per se, but he goes on afterwards and he says, And whatever you do in word or deed, do all in the name of the Lord Jesus. Whatever means anything and do all means all. In anything we do, all must be done in the name of the Lord Jesus. Now, sometimes that confuses people a little bit. What what does that mean in the name of the Lord Jesus to do all, to do anything? I like how the New Century Version renders it. Everything you do or say should be done to obey Jesus your Lord. This is how the New Century Version renders that passage. You see, when you do something in the name of, that means you are acting as an authorized representative for that person or that entity. That means you have the power, you have the right because you are doing so in obedience according to the will of that figurehead, that authority, that person, that entity. Maybe you've heard someone say before, stop. Stop in the name of the, and you already know how it finishes. Stop in the name of the law. You have authority. This is according to what is written. Scripture uses the same phrasing with this meaning as well. Second Thessalonians 3, 6, we command you, Brethren, note that we command you, brethren, how in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. And Paul goes on to speak specifically about withdrawing from those brothers who are walking disorderly. We have that right. We have that authority. In fact, we have that command. And it is accordance to obedience or the name of Jesus Christ. Paul is telling the church. And Colossae, that just as they must worship the Lord in song and praise and in accordance to the specific manner in which he names there, that we must do so in everything. Whatever we do, do all in obedience to his will. Do we really need a ticket to worship the Father? Absolutely. Now, question, second question, how do we get it? How do we get that right? How do we get that authority, that power? I think there is a very helpful passage that is found almost immediately, in fact, after this call to obey the Lord in everything in Colossians chapter 3. In verse 20, Paul goes on 
exhorting families and wives and husbands and children as well. And, and to the children specifically, he says, children, obey your parents in all things, for this is well-pleasing to the Lord. Now, I think this is an interesting passage to, to use in setup for this discussion about how we are to obey our heavenly parent, our heavenly father in all things. Children, they are commanded to obey their parents in all things. And this is well-pleasing the Lord. Well, likewise, we are the children of the Lord, and we too should obey him in all things. And I think we can uh, draw out some very helpful logical uh, reasons. Um, we can draw out a helpful illustration here to help us understand how we today obey our Heavenly Father. I have to tell you a truth that I have come to believe in over the, the years here, and in some cases might um, put to shame some of the best theologians and logicians. Now, I'm not trying to be prideful here or anything, not by any means. Uh, they have many theologians, many logicians have written a score of works on subjects like hermeneutics and exegesis and scriptural authority, and they would put me to shame. But might I suggest, especially for the common man here, and I consider myself a common man uh, in my abilities, I guess, to understand uh, logical, rational things. I, I, I can't really put those things into a formula and to a math figure like some of these brilliant minds can. But might I suggest a very simple way of understanding the reception the, of, of authority for all that we do and say? I, I believe truly it is as simple as that of a child. Again, I don't want to uh, put to shame the hard work and brilliance of many uh, logicians and, and hardworking, you know, those of a very mathematical mind. But might I suggest, again, that it might be as simple as understanding the relationship of a child to a parent. Might I suggest that the understanding and reception of authority in Scripture is based upon some very simple principles of logic and reasoning that you, you have received since you were just a little green pea in your parents' sight. I believe the principles of obedience and permission from the Heavenly Father are really nothing more than the same principles we have been trained to follow since we were in our childhood. And so let's just ask the simple question. How does a child learn obedience to his parents? How does a child receive permission from their parents? And there's really two simple answers to that. Listen, listen here. There's, there's two simple answers. The first answer is he listens. He listens. A child listens to their parents. Isn't that what you had to do when you were growing up and, and, and you were in obedience, subjection to those over you? You had to listen to them. That's the only way you could discern your parents' will is if you carefully listened to what they are being told. And, and if you didn't follow your parents' uh, instruction properly, what did they say to you? They said to you, are you listening? <laughs> they, they said, are you listening? In Genesis chapter 37, we have an account between a child and a father, Joseph, and his father, Jacob. Joseph is 17 years old at this time. And so in some respects, he's very much so a child. In Genesis 37, verses 12 through 14, Joseph comes to his father and he says, here I am. Now, that is a statement of attentiveness. 
especially in uh, Hebrew language. Here I am, Father. And you would read that phrase so often in the Old Testament. Here I am, Father. I'm ready to listen. I'm ready to receive word from you. A person can't receive power or right or authority from their parent, their father, unless they're willing to be attentive and say, here I am, father, mother, I, here I am ready to stand and listen. And so then you go on in the text and the father speaks to his son and he says, please go and see if it is well with your brothers and well with the flocks and bring back word to me. And guess what follows next? Joseph listens to his father. He's attentive to his father's will. And the scripture says he went. How did he go? How did he, how is it that he went? Well, by listening to his father. And he went where? Well, the only place where his father told him to go. He went to Shechem. Joseph listened. He, uh, and upon listening, he discerned his father's will. He received authorization. And upon receiving authorization, Joseph knew what to do and he knew where to go. Now, one other element that was essential to Joseph's reception of his father's authority, permission, that is reason. He listened and Joseph reasoned. You remember how the word of the Lord came to the prophet Isaiah and it said, come now, let us reason together. This he spoke to the children of Israel. Come now, let us reason together. You know, even a child, though he may be lacking in his power, oftentimes to fully discern and reason all the aspects of a thing, especially in his early years, he is not left without the most basic of human capacities to sensibly work out those things that maybe his father didn't explicitly state, or maybe his father didn't say in so many words when he gave him instruction, But nevertheless, the child reasoned through those things as he listened to his father's instructions. We know, for example, that there were at least three things Joseph was explicitly told to do. He was told to go, he was told to see, and he was told to bring back word. But now think about the many things those three things did not say. And those three things Joseph had to reason through. through. Joseph did not, for example have to go back to his father and say, Father, is it okay if I go by walking? (laughs) Is it okay if I go by running? Is it okay if I go by riding an animal? Joseph did not have to go back to his father and say, Father, is it okay if I see how my brothers are doing by asking a few questions? Is it okay if I see how my brothers are doing by, you know, observing their flocks? Is it okay, Father, if I see how they're doing? Maybe by even asking others what they have observed. And and finally, Joseph did not, for example, have to go back to his father and say, Father, is it okay if I bring back word by writing a few things down? Or maybe by using a little alliteration to recall to memory what I've seen and what I've heard? I'm not trying to be silly here, but I'm trying to uh, point out how simple the the mind is able to reason through these things, really, of course, by the gift of God. God gave us reason and he says, use it. Let Come, let us reason together. This is called logic and reasoning. And God expects us to use our sensibilities as we listen to his word. Our Lord, he famously rebuked the Sadducees for their disbelief in a resurrection when he reminded them that 
you know, God had said, even hundreds of years after the patriarchs had died, I am the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob. Conclusion, God is not the God of the dead, dead but of the living. Therefore, there is a resurrection. We have to use principles of logic and order. Jesus did. He listened to the scriptures. He listened to his heavenly father, but he also reasoned through them. And likewise, we have to use our faculties of sensibility and rationality today. The only question left when once we have listened and once we have applied the principles of logic and reasoning to the word of God, that's how we get authority, is this final question, what do we do with it? We do need our ticket and we do need to, to, to receive it through listening and, and applying logic and rationality. But once we have done those things, once we have received God's authority, what do we do with it? The answer is be strong and do it. Do it with all your heart. Do it with all your soul. Do it with all your mind and your strength. Use that power. Use that authority and serve God in sincerity and truth, just as Jesus said. You know, I love what David says in First Chronicles 28.10. After he prepares the material needed to build the temple and he speaks to his son Solomon and he says to Solomon, consider now, Solomon, for the Lord has chosen you to build a house for the sanctuary. Be strong and do it. You know, the most difficult part of worshiping God, if there is some difficulty in it, um, though the scriptures say, you know, that his commandments are not burdensome, but if there is something that proves difficult in service to God, it's not really the listening part. It's it's not reasoning through and understanding some of the simple principles of logic when you hear his word, that, that, that's all the easy part. The difficult part, if there, again, if there really is any, is being strong enough to do it, to attend, to dedicate, to serve day after day, week after week. This can be in part the difficulty if there should be any. Authorization comes so easy. Listening, applying the senses of rationality, but doing. That, that can be the challenge at times. You know, when I was a, a small macho boy, if you want to put it that way, I used to think things like singing was just for girls. I used to think that praying before others was kind of embarrassing. I used to think that attending church and fellowship really wasn't all that important or something that you needed to do. I used to think many different things when I was a child and I thought like a child. But then one day I had to break the stubborn will of that child and I had to begin to enrich the knowledge of that child deep into the minds of God's word of wisdom and truth. And I had to begin to do it. I had to begin to attend uh, the Lord's uh, assembly and worship him every the first day of the week. And before, as I said, you know, if there's something difficult about, about it, but as you do it, you know, you find it to be a great, great joy. And uh, when you're not part of it, uh, you, there's a missing part in your heart, your soul, your life. Yes, again, doing it, if there is any difficulty, that is the part that proves to be a challenge from, from time to time. But we need to do it. We need to come to him and worship him. 
and we need to be strong and do it. A ticket of God's stage of praise and worship, it might not cost you any money. It might not cost you a $300 ticket online or one of those $150,000 tickets that gets auctioned off on the street corners. But rest assured, it does cost us something. The Lord himself, he paid the sacrifice. And now he says, no one comes to the Father except through me. We may have to break a, a stubborn will of ours One that says, you know, I've been doing this for years. This is the way I've been worshiping God. This is the place I've been worshiping God. I've been doing this forever. Um, And and I'm not going to change. Oh, my friend, that's the cost right there. That's the sacrifice right there that you may have to make. Jesus said, no one comes to the Father except through me. Those who seek to to worship the Father... They must do so through Jesus. They must humble themselves and be obedient, do all in obedience to the Lord Jesus Christ. The Lord's people today give thanks through him, offering their hearts, their minds, their hands in complete obedience and faith in Jesus. You know, in the churches of Christ especially, our worship may appear simple to the populace today. We got no big bands playing, no candlelights burning, no extravagant garments flowing down the arms and the legs of the preacher, no carpets rolled out, no rigorous worship exercises performed five times a day as some world religions. But one thing we do have are spiritual sacrifices that have been modeled for us, exemplified for us, through the Lord Jesus Christ himself. He has shown us the way. Jesus' worship is our worship today, and we are fully trusting in Jesus to lead us all the way, all the time, in every place, to him, to the Father. Jesus has the ticket, and he's got one for you if you are willing to follow him all the way, if you are willing to humble yourself in obedience to him. Lord, may our worship be fully pleasing to the Father this day forever and from everlasting to everlasting. Amen.